resorts, homes and the newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hi, I'm Fred Hooper and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show all about natural disasters, how people prepare for them and how people have survived them in the past. Each week we work with local reporters, so they get it. They understand what everyone is going through during a disaster. Today you'll meet someone who has thrown down the challenge to young people in the Pacific to take the lead on climate change. Also, farmers in Fiji have been recognised for their work during the pandemic but also being able to adapt their crops to suit climate change. And there's been lots of weather around parts of the Pacific this week. We'll check in with a local weather office to find out how things have played out. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. The time to prepare is now, not right before an emergency. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. Like anywhere in the world, farming in the Pacific isn't easy. When your job relies so heavily on the weather, I can imagine that it would be very difficult. Farmers in Fiji have been recognised recently for their work in keeping the country fed during COVID, but also as a result of climate change. A lot of farmers have had to adapt their crops to suit changes in climate. Thank you for your contribution to the agriculture sector over the years. And I know that uh, funding for you has been a generational thing. Fiji's agricultural minister standing on a low stage in front of a group of farmers basically saying thanks and that the government is there to help. I know also that uh, there are many obstacles and constraints that you go through. In particular the uh, onset of uh, changes that have been brought about by climate change. And I know that uh, the natural disasters in particular that uh, are hitting us on a more rapid scale in terms of uh, the uh, strength of uh, the cyclones that are hitting us and the rapid rate at which the rainfall continues to affect us in terms of the volume of uh, rainfall by the time factor is uh, something that cannot be compared to what our forefathers went through. So what I'm actually trying to say is that the obstacles that you are going through right now in order to produce is much more severe than what our forefathers went through. So I want to salute you for sticking with the agriculture, sticking with farming, 
as a profession and as a business for Zabulu, because farming is not for the thin If you are in the farming business, then you have a warrior heart. You are the backbone on which this very country stands. Thank you very much. So today is just a small recognition of your effort. I want to apologize if it is not enough, but you must also bear with government because due to the costs that are involved, we, know, we may not be able to satisfy everything that's one. So please bear with us and accept the packages that have been provided for some of you. Some of you may have missed out. I want to say to you that there is a new government in place and we will be here for a very long time and we will support the agriculture sector, in particular the farmers. And we will listen to you, because we are a government that will listen to the people. We are a government of the people. And we will listen to people like you, especially those who farm, those who toil, those who sweat to produce food for our country. So having said that, I congratulate you once again, and I look forward to meeting you personally after this, and uh, talking with you personally, and sharing with you what experiences you may have, so that it will help me in my delivery of my ministerial role, not only now, but also into the future. Fiji's Agricultural Minister speaking with a group of farmers. And thank you to the Fijian Broadcasting Corporation for that audio. This is Pacific Prepared. What's your plan? Are you ready to leave your home? Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific Prepared. Uh, cyclones, uh, Cyclone Gita. Uh, that was my first cyclone I experienced. Right. It, was, uh, it was pretty rough. What happened? Where were you? Uh, I was at uh, I was at home, just with uh, my mum and my dad, and then we heard the radio said that there was a cyclone, so we hurried and uh, got some kapa, some stuff to nail against the louvers. worried about my families in other houses so my dad went and picked them up so we all stayed all of our families were in one house and uh, yeah we just started praying to God to uh, help us When you think about the future, tomorrow, next week, next year, or the next 25 years, who do you think of right now? I think it's fair to say that a lot of people would be turning to young people. They're some of the people who will be living through these times. 
And this happened in Tonga recently. One of the people in charge of the Pacific Islands Forum was in a Tongan school and he turned to the young people there asking them to be the ones to step up. And he said it's their future. The Secretary General of the Pacific Islands Forum, Henry Puna, challenged the students of Tupo College Toloa to take the lead on actions against climate change. While in Nukalofa, Henry Puna visited a lot of sites that were greatly affected from the eruption, including many schools. During his visit to Tupo College Toloa, he noticed the work they do to combat climate change and challenge them to be champions on the issue. Yes, we have a lot of work still to do. Climate change, of course, is always an existential threat for us here in the Pacific. And I had the privilege of meeting with the boys of uh, Tupo College uh, this morning. And I was challenging them to take the lead on this issue because if anybody knows about climate better, it's us. We live it. It's our daily reality. We live it every day. They don't know what it's like firsthand, but our young people do so. So the challenge was for them, you know, to become the champions for the whole world. Because in doing that, then the status of our region will be highly elevated. But that is an issue that our leaders have been engaged with and advocating for so long. The challenge was made during discussions on the 2050 strategy of the forum, which was part of his four-day visit to Tonga. Fundamental to the strategy is the need for us as a forum family to stay together and to continue to work together into the future. Our 30-year plan to 2050 is just an interim measure. I mean, the key to that plan is that it's people-centered, but also it also is centered on our ocean. And uh, as priorities in the world changes, we also need to adapt to them. But I think, you know, I could be uh, confirmed that uh, if this plan works and subject to five yearly reviews and updates, uh, then, you know, why change it? You know, we will stick with it moving forward. But that's for the next generation of leaders, uh, you know, to look at. And um, But no, it's just a short-term uh, measure. To, let's uh, not be bound by the 2050. It really is a blueprint for us moving into the future. But we'll put a, 20, a 2050 boundary on it so that the next generation can say, hey, you have no right to tell us, you know, what we should do. But so, you know, let's not be bound by the dates. But it's what is in the plan that is most important. The Prime Minister, Honourable Huagava Meiliku, says the strategy has plans that will greatly benefit the Pacific and Tonga. The thing is, it highlighted the priorities for the region, but not too prescriptive, you know, saying you should do this, this and that. Because... It also recognizes that you know the sovereignty of nations that we have our own right to to prioritize what we believe is important for our own uh, countries. So it it works well at, at that level uh, that we have a regional plan uh, with priorities that we uh, believe in. Uh, at the same time, recognizing that there will be uh, a short, medium, and long term uh, outcomes. Uh, we're not all going to wait until 2050 to realize all the outcomes. Some of them might come five years' time, ten years' time. 
so that's I think that's the the beauty of this plan. It it gives you that uh, uh, using uh, Henry's uh, word that we call rule uh, that flexibility uh, to uh, not only uh, work within that region but also having your own national uh, plan uh, to complement it. Climate change and economic recovery from COVID-19 are priority areas in the 2050 strategy. The Prime Minister of Tonga ending that report by Anasiu Falakono from the Tongan Broadcasting Commission. This is Pacific Prepared. We need to be prepared for the future. Helping you stay safe. We have built a seawall two times, but it did no good. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Cyclone Judy made landfall in Vanuatu on Wednesday, causing power and water cuts to a large part of the region. The World on ABC TV spoke with Pacific Communities Melanesia Regional Director Mia Ramon. For people in Port Vila, where we have experienced the cyclone during today at a category five, category three level, it has been a lot of rain, a lot of debris, a lot of roofing iron has gone from people's homes. There are many squatter settlements in Port Vila, as well as many people whose houses are just roofed with simple roofing iron. Um, a lot of fruit trees are down, gardens. And it's a very big mess in Port Vila. We're looking at a very big cleanup operation. Are, are some people without homes at the moment? We know there's been a lot of disruption to, to telecommunications and to power. The water and power company is just inundated with the amount of outages in a, in a large capital city of a Pacific Island country. There are down trees, power lines are down, Airports are also closed and looks like it's going to be some time before they will reopen. You know, the Pacific community where I work um, has done a lot, uh, and other partners as well, has done a lot of capacity building for the national disaster management offices and for the meteo services. And they're pretty well prepared. There's a very good early warning system in place. People are getting texts on their phones. People are are being told when to seek shelter. And that works really well. The problem is that it's not if it will strike, it's a matter of when. And the climate change is increasing the ferocity and the frequency of these cyclones. And Vanuatu is bearing the brunt of these climate change impacts. Yeah. And, you know, this has become such a big issue for the Pacific. It's on the agenda constantly. What sort of investment is needed? How are you know, Pacific Islands like Vanuatu feeling, uh, Pacific countries feeling about how the globe is approaching climate change and the devastating impacts it's had? Well, climate change impacts are not even just disasters. There are impacts on public health, fisheries and the oceans, the food systems, fresh water, education. Uh, we need investment in the science that is going to help us to understand the impacts and investment to enable these small Pacific Island countries and territories to adapt and be resilient in the face of this incredible challenge. Vanuatu alone is known as, as the most dangerous place on earth due to volcanic eruptions, due to tropical cyclones, earthquakes, tsunamis. It, 
everywhere in the Pacific is experiencing this. Tonga has experienced a huge uh, event in the past year. This country alone, Vanuatu, has experienced Cyclone Pam in 2015, Cyclone Winston in 2016, both Category 5, and numerous Category 5 cyclones in between. And this is becoming to a point where we have to have the investment to enable these Pacific Island countries to survive. Mia Ramon, who is the Pacific Community's Melanesia Regional Director. You're listening to Pacific Prepared. People's lives have been affected by a disaster. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. All the signs are coming, so we have to prepare. Be prepared. Pacific Prepared. Us Pacific Islanders are the ones actually at risk. We're the ones actually facing the challenges of climate change, the rise of sea level and the hurricanes. Every year we are, we're always expecting a cyclone to occur and we don't know how hard it's going to hit us. And yeah, we're, we're quite, some of us are quite um, scared. It's pretty, pretty frequent now. Um, it's like every year we experience cyclones. So it's, it's, for now, we, just, we tend not to underestimate it, but yeah. We do prepare ourselves, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like a routine now every year. Um, I know that it's affecting us greatly. Um, my point of view is very different from my parents' point of view because back then climate change wasn't um, that serious. Um, and nowadays, back then, they would only have cyclones about like once every eight years or something. But now we have it every other year. Um, For me, I've been through two um, Category 5 cyclones. Um, Yeah, in in 2015, my family and I, we moved to Vanuatu. And one month into moving there, we we experienced um, Cyclone Pan, um, yeah, Category 5. Disaster is part of our life, and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepare. Okay, my name is Solomon Finau, the technical manager for Tonga Broadcasting Commission. Do you remember what you were doing when the volcanic eruption happened? Yeah, it will never go off my mind that day. I, I, I remember when I arrived at the station, uh, there were crowded people, about 200 people, they were stacked on the stairways upstairs because of the uh, uh, evacuation area in these new buildings on the top. But they cannot go to the on top because they were ash falling from the sky. So what we did, I asked the CEO to keep permission to open the new building. So the CEO said yes. So we opened and the public went inside and I can see uh, public panic uh, because of that... Uh, uh, lightning and the sound was so loud. And so then when you said before, when you got to the station then finally, people, you said that you saw people panicking. How did you know they were panicking? Yeah, they're shaking. You can tell somebody that has been afraid, don't know what to do. I can see the people because they, they were pushing each other. They were pushing each other in the stairs. And when I came, I gave them the key to the building. I said to them, don't push each other, especially the elder people. Does it change how you feel about living in Tonga? 
Yeah, I, I think in that time I was thinking uh, maybe better to migrate. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of had a bit of a laugh then saying that you might migrate, but would you, would you really consider leaving Tonga though? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I prefer staying back home there. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. There's some stories that you just don't find in a book. They don't get recorded or written down somewhere because people just know them. There's probably a lot of countries in the world that this happens, including a lot of countries across the Pacific. These stories often include things like traditional knowledge around the land, climate and food preservation. All things that aren't written down, they're just known by somebody. Millicent Barty is from Solomon Islands and she's been working on recording these stories, kind of important things, so that everyone can understand them. Millicent has just been awarded a fellowship with the Emerson Collective. They basically find people from right across the world to help solve a huge range of issues. Millicent, or Millie as she's known, recently spoke to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Um, so for me, um, I'm finally um, doing a long-standing dream of mine. So generally just through my work and my own personal journey, I've been collecting and archiving our custom stories, so our traditional oral histories. Um, so in my normal work, I leverage our custom storytelling practices in order to translate uh, complex sort of information or systems um, so our people can understand and connect with it better. Um, so finally, I'm scaling this to support communities so that they too can start uh, protecting and preserving their traditional knowledges. And yeah, I'm starting a new organization. It's called Custom Keepers. Um, so it's it's been... Um, long, long time in the pipeline for me. So it's finally happening and I'm super excited. I know. And, and I, you know, as you mentioned, um, Millie, this is the first time the Emerson Collective has opened it up, up opened up their um, uh, fellowship internationally. And you've won of, of just, you know, a dozen or so that have been selected. What, what is it? What was it like when you got that call? What was that whole process like? How did you feel? Oh, uh, um <laughs> Unbelievable, actually. Um, I, I think, yeah, I was just really shocked, um, I guess, because, um, you know, being from our corner of the world, our very small and remote corner, um, it's not very often we get a lot of these opportunities. Um, so, yeah, just to be selected, uh, the application process was rigorous, mm. Um, and the interview, you know, I was shaking all throughout the interview. So by the end of the interview, I was like, oh, I don't think I got it. Um, but yeah, just to have received the email that I've been selected as one, as a climate pivoter, um, it really places so much, um, you know, motivation, but also just a lot of, um, power to know that you know someone believes in 
uh, my vision for custom keepers. Uh, they see the value in it. And yeah, I'm truly thankful to, you know, the Emerson Collective for this. Um, and as you mentioned, custom keepers, that's that's your project, um, collecting these stories, collecting indigenous wisdom about the environment. What, why is that important to you? What, what made you come up with this idea? Um, for a few reasons. So I think on a personal level, I've been collecting custom stories since I was a child. Um, I always say, you know, my first teachers in life were, you know, my two grandmothers and my elders in the village. Um, for me, you know, our custom knowledges present a way in which I can answer you know, the five great questions of life, which philosophers such as, you know, Socrates, Plato, and our elders call, you know, who who am I? Where do I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? And what good do I bring to society? And for me, uh, Custom Stories has helped me sort of navigate all of that and find my own answers. And so I think it's important that, you know, in this day and age, a lot of our young people are missing out on this, you know, beautiful sort of channel to learn about themselves, to sort of help us own our own narratives and, you know, build our self-determination based on who we are. And um, custom stories, um, a lot of our custom knowledge is uh, basically helping us to understand our connections and bond with the environment uh, through the eyes of our ancestors. So it's things like, you know, if you take a fruit from a tree, you must make sure you leave enough for the bird and her family. Or if you disturb the coral reef, you must, you know, replace it with something from land so that, you know, you keep it intact. So it teaches you the fundamental values in life, I believe. And for me, that's the personal sort of reason why it's important. Uh, to collect our indigenous wisdoms. Yeah, so definitely the practice of passing down the knowledge um, through oral traditions um, has been lost. But young people are sort of not getting those opportunities anymore and the intergenerational gap is widening. Um, however, I don't believe we can lose indigenous um, knowledge or wisdom. I feel the only thing we've lost is the way to connect with it. And, you know, with the climate crisis, especially if we lose our physical land, um, our islands, um, then these stories, because they're so connected to the physical environment, um, they'll be lost forever. So, Millicent Barty from Solomon Islands. She's just been awarded a scholarship for her work in telling traditional stories. I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, FBC Fiji, 
Samoa National Radio 2AP, SIBC Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation, and TBC Tonga. If your organisation is working in this space in any way, let us know so that we can keep everybody informed. Maybe you've got a story idea, a personal experience to share, a topic to cover, or someone that you think we should meet. The easiest way to get in touch with us is to search for Pacific Prepared and then scroll down to the Connect With Us section. Part of the aim of this program is to start conversations about disasters. What would you do and how will you prepare? We're trying to help you make the next disaster easier for you and your family. My name's Fred Hooper. Please share any information that you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared.